I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles this morning to the book of 1 Peter. Book of 1 Peter. In our sermon for today, we're going to cover the first three verses from 1 Peter chapter 2. And if you do not have a Bible with you this morning, I encourage you to make use of one of the Pew Bibles where you can find this passage located on page 981, or you can simply follow along on the, on the screens as the verses are displayed. Now, I will be reading from the English Standard Version this morning, which is a little bit different than the NIV, but not enough that it will cause us any, any confusion. They're very close in this passage. Now, before I do get started today, let me just say how incredible that it is to be back at uh, this church this church we still consider our church, uh, even when people think, no, your church is up there. No, this is our church, and I'm not sure there will ever be another church that we refer to as our church the way that we think of this church as our church. I don't know all the places uh, that God will take us in the remaining years of our ministry, but I don't believe there will ever be a church that is more of a home to us uh, than this church. It holds a special place in our hearts and we have many, many great memories of our time here and the people here. And I've told people before, but honestly, the most difficult part about us going to do church revitalization, which is a difficult process, more so than I thought, is a difficult process. The most difficult part of it was leaving this church family. And I don't, we knew it would be hard, but it's been very difficult and it's great uh, to be back here with you uh, today. This is a, was a great place, is a great place, and we're thankful uh, for the fact that we can still call it our church home, our church. Uh, but in addition to the memories and the people, uh, there is another reason that this church is very special uh, to me. You see, this church is not only a place where we made great friends and where we made great memories, but it is also a church where I grew as a believer like I never had before. Uh, friends, when we started attending this church back in 2002, I did not have any inkling whatsoever that I would ever be a pastor. And certainly my wife of three or four years at the time had no idea that this guy she had been married to for just a few short years would end up being a pastor. We were just a young couple who, like most young couples in this area, are just chasing the American dream, just trying to be like everybody else, and had no idea that uh, this would end up happening. But God used this church. Uh, he used men at this church, like Ron Sumners, like James Colbreth, like my friends uh, David Swan and, and Andrew Morgan, and, and lots more that I could name, but I'm going to stop or I'll leave uh, someone out. Uh, he used this church and individuals to change me in a way almost as dramatic as what took place when he saved me. It wasn't instant, but it was an ongoing, years-long process of growing up in my faith that eventually led to Laura and I looking at each other and making the scary decision to walk away from a lot of things like this church that were normal to us, that were comfortable to us, uh, to, for me to go to seminary and ultimately uh, to become a pastor. And so that is what I'd like to talk with you about this morning. I'd like to talk with you about the process of spiritual growth. Just how is it that we can mature in our faith and is there anything that we can do to hurry that process along? 
Some of you may remember, and again, I know there are others here who are looking, thinking who in the world is uh, this guy. But for those of you who remember, when Laura and I left Meadowbrook to head to Huntsville in 2013, our daughter Mary Tanner was five years old, going on six. Now she's 11 years old, going on 18. And since then, we have added a son to our family whose name is James Eli. Well, James Eli is four years old now. And like many kids do, at some point in the past year or so, James began to ask us about what he needed to do to grow bigger. He wanted to know how to get bigger. And the answer that we have always given him when he asked that sort of question is that he needs to eat all his food and get a good night's sleep. Eat all his food and get a good night's sleep. Well, when you say something like that to a young child, they don't understand that you were saying that these are things that they need to do every day for years and years before they see the sorts of results that they have in mind. What they think you mean is that if they will eat their supper tonight and go to bed shortly thereafter without much fuss, the next morning they're going to wake up and poof, they're going to be as big as their parents, right? That's the way that children's brains work. Now, we know that's not how it works, but when a child wakes up the next day and is pretty much the exact same size as they were the day before, they are disappointed, and he's going to question the advice of his parents about how he could grow bigger, and he might even assume that there's something else to this growing bigger equation than what his parents have given him. Eat all your food and go to sleep, because he did that and it didn't work. Well, interestingly, I have found that many Christians have a similar struggle with regard to their personal spiritual growth. Yes, while many Christians today are interested in spiritual growth and desire it very much, they do want to know how they can have a closer walk with God and they want to know how they can live more faithfully in their day-to-day lives. They often become frustrated that the spiritual growth they desire does not come as quickly as they think it should. And like a child who is expecting rapid results after eating and sleeping well for one night, many Christians become frustrated when they don't progress as quickly as they desire. So the question is, is why then if so many of us have this desire to grow in our faith, do we find it so difficult to mature as a Christian? Yes, why is the spiritual growth that we are seeking as believers so very elusive. Well, the problem is not that the Bible doesn't give us advice in this area. The Bible tells us in many places how we can grow in our faith. The problem is we are often like children who, when they don't see rapid results, assume there's something wrong with the advice they have been given or something wrong with themselves. As friends, one of the reasons that many of us struggle to make progress in our growth as a Christian is simply because we become frustrated and give up. We don't keep pushing on when it gets difficult. We don't see any measurable growth taking place, and we just assume there's something wrong with the overly simple advice we have given about how to grow in our faith, or we assume that there's something wrong with us and that we will never be able to mature in our faith. I'll never be able to be as mature as so-and-so is in his or her faith. Now imagine with me that you are in a conversation with a new college student who is complaining to you about their struggles to learn calculus. 
And imagine that after listening to them tell you how hard it is and how frustrated they are and how they're about ready to give up, that you proceed to ask them questions like, well, how often does this calculus class meet and how much time are you spending studying after each class session? And imagine hearing them tell you something like this. Well, you know, the, the class meets one hour a day, five days a week, Monday through Friday, and I generally make it to at least one or two of those classes each week and I probably go home after that and I spend five or ten minutes studying but then I get frustrated because I don't understand it and and you know I've been in that class for like half a semester now and I ought to know this calculus better than what I know so either there's something wrong with the professor he or she's no good or there's something wrong with me now I may or may not have known someone who struggled with calculus classes at Auburn for similar reasons And she's not sitting over there. (laughs) But the reason I share this story is to point out that this sort of ridiculous complaint is very similar to the kind of reactions that Christians have when they don't feel like they are growing as fast as they should in their faith. It would be like saying, well, you know, I I go to church for an hour every Sunday and I sometimes read my Bible and, and I pray for a few minutes here and there, but I really just don't feel like I'm making any progress in my faith. You know, I'm frustrated because I ought to be more like Jesus by now. And so do you see, you're laughing, so you see how ridiculous, this is just as ridiculous as a calculus student thinking that one or two hours of class each week and five or ten minutes studying here and there is going to make them become proficient in calculus. And you see how that routine of one hour of church on Sunday and and reading our Bibles during the week is pretty much the same as, as what this hypothetical calculus student was doing and is it any wonder then that we struggle so much to grow in our faith as christians now i imagine there are some recent high school graduates in this room who are headed off to college in a few weeks and while i'm sure that none of you were or are as clueless as i was when i headed off uh, to college i want to give you some advice that i am confident will make your collegiate experience much better. Yes, I have this very simple two-step formula for making good grades in college that I like to share with young folks who won't listen to the parents but who might still listen uh, to me even though I'm getting gray as well. But this two-step formula, it's not something that I don't think, I, I definitely didn't come up with it on my own, but because I had to learn it the hard way and there's so much blood, sweat, and tears, I feel like I have some ownership of it because it's a little bit mine. But the two-step form is this. Number one, go to class every time it meets. Wow, amazing. Go to class every time it meets. And number two, for every hour you your class, the rule that some people say is for spend two hours studying. Well, I know you're not going to do that. Spend one hour studying for every hour that you are in a class. So go to class every time it meets. And for every hour you're in class, spend an hour or so studying what you have covered in that class. That's it. Now, the problem is, while the formula is very simple, carrying it out is where most students run into trouble. Because for the first time in their life, they get to choose whether they are actually going to get up in the morning and go to class, and whether they are actually going to come home and study what they have learned in class that day. And that choice is what makes excelling in college difficult For many of us. It's not that we aren't smart enough. 
It's not that our professors are no good. It's that we have a choice about whether or not we are going to fully apply ourselves to the task. And I would like to suggest to you this morning that our ability to choose is one of the main things that affects our progress in spiritual growth. Our ability to choose is one of the main things that affects our progress in spiritual growth. As we're going to see in our passage for today, the formula for growing up in our salvation is really not any more complicated than this two-step formula for being a good student in college. What makes it difficult is that choice choice that we have. We can choose to listen to what the Bible says about the path to spiritual maturity or we can ignore that advice, look for a shortcut and ultimately find ourselves frustrated and disappointed with the outcome. So what does the Bible have to say about the way we can grow in our walk with Christ? What does the Bible have to say about personal spiritual growth. Well, it says a lot of different things in a lot of different places about this sort of stuff, but this morning we are going to limit ourselves to the very simple formula found in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. And like my formula for doing well in college, Peter has given us a two-part formula in these verses to help us grow up into a salvation. So if you haven't already, please turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2 and follow along as I read verses 1 and 3. Two, 1, 2, and 3. Peter says, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So the first step you can see in this two-part formula for growing up into into our salvation or for maturing spiritually is to put away sin. To put away sin. In verse 1, Peter tells us to put away or get rid of all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Now, notice that the sins that Peter lists here are a specific type of sin. They are sins that primarily affect our relationship with other Christians. In other words, these are sins that not only affect us personally, not only affect our personal spiritual growth, but these are sins that hurt the whole church. And they are, therefore, sins that will inhibit not only us as we try to mature in our faith, but also the spiritual growth and spiritual maturity of others. You see, in this letter, Peter was writing to people who had been alienated from the rest of society because of their faith in Jesus, because they had chosen to follow Jesus. Back in the first verse of this letter, he identifies them as, as exiles, exiles who were scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. In other words, he is writing to people who were experiencing isolation and marginalization for their faith. And, and Peter is therefore appropriately concerned about sins and behaviors that might alienate them from one another as well. Hey, you're already alienated from society. Don't alienate yourself from your brothers and sisters. That's who you have. For example, Peter says, put away all malice, all evil. And the reason he says put away all malice is because he is concerned about people acting in wicked and evil ways toward other believers. In this context, Peter is thinking of people who are mean-spirited and have ill or wicked intentions toward other believers. 
These are people who have a bad attitude about things and prove it by acting in wicked ways and even doing or saying evil things to their fellow Christians. And we can certainly see how this sort of thing would affect the church. And truthfully, we probably have seen how this sort of thing can affect the church and the health of the church. But Peter also says that we should put away all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. In other words, we must resist the temptation to get our own way through the use of deceit. Which means we must tell the truth, the whole truth, all of the time. And we must avoid being hypocritical or fake or phony, but real and transparent instead. We shouldn't wear masks in front of each other, pretending to be something or someone we are not. That hinders your spiritual growth. Because your brothers and sisters can't see where you're struggling and they can't help you with that struggle when you you get out of the car and put on the church face. Right? We all do it. Pastors do it more than y'all do it. And we must also resist the temptation to be envious of others. To want what they have even to the point that we hope they stumble and lose it. And we must refuse to tolerate any form of slander in the church, whether that is through the spread of gossip or by voicing cleverly veiled insinuations or by intentionally revealing things about someone to other people because we want to hurt them or their reputation. None of these sorts of behaviors are appropriate within the church. And if we are going to grow personally, we must avoid these behaviors in our own lives and we must do what we can to keep them out of the church as well. As Christians, we must speak the truth in love and we must be careful that the words we use do not ever tear other believers down, but always build them up. That's what our words are meant to do, to build up the body, to build up our brothers and sisters. So if we want to grow in our faith, the first step is to put away any bad attitude, any bad talk or bad behavior toward other believers. Those sorts of things not only harm your own spiritual progress, but they affect the church as a whole. And listen, when the church as a whole is affected, the spiritual growth and maturity of us all is affected. So putting off sins that harm the church is particularly important because of the significant role that God intends for the church to play in our own spiritual growth. If the church is not healthy because of the way we're treating one another, that I'm not growing, you're not growing, no one is growing the way that they could, not in an optimal way. So, you see, one of the ways that Satan keeps us from longing for the pure spiritual milk of God's Word that Peter is going to talk about in the next way, one of the ways that Satan keeps us from longing for the Bible is by introducing all sorts of relational difficulties into the local church that result in bickering and fighting that Satan knows will distract us from hearing and learning from God's Word together. He's been at the business of messing up churches for a long time. He's good at it. And this is one of his strategies. All churches have to be very careful about this. And that is what Peter is warning us about here in verse 1. We have to put away those sins that will affect our relationship with other Christians, hurt the church, and inhibit the spiritual growth of everyone. But let me also point out that while Peter's list in this verse is limited to a very specific sort of sin that we must put off, sins that affect our relationship with other believers, that doesn't mean that Peter isn't concerned about other kinds of sin. 
The truth is, if we want to grow in our Christian faith, we must commit ourselves to waging war against all the sin that is waging war against us. As a 17th century Puritan pastor, John Owen, not this John Owen, used to say, be killing sin or it will be killing you. John, you can say that anytime you want, but you didn't come up with it. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. In other words, we must go on the offensive against sin because it is ruthlessly attacking us in hopes of wrecking our lives. With regard to sin, it is true that the best defense is a good offense. We must put it away. We must rid ourselves of it. And this is not a passive behavior. This is an active behavior. We must actively shed all behaviors that are inconsistent with the Christian life. And that is the first step to Peter's two-part formula for maturing in the Christian faith. Or growing up into salvation, as he describes it. We must put away sin. We must get rid of it. And we are the ones who must do it. Yes, we will do it with the Holy Spirit's help, but we must do it. That is step number one, put away sin. And the second step in Peter's two-part formula for spiritual growth is that we must drink deeply from God's Word. We must drink deeply from God's Word. In verse 2 he says, Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. Crave it so you can grow in your salvation, grow in your faith. Just like the milk makes a baby grow, the pure spiritual milk of God's Word makes believers grow. And just like a baby will not give up screaming until he or she gets fed, we as believers ought to insist upon regular feeding of, feedings of God's Word and feel the pangs of hunger. When we have gone too long without it, we should crave it. Now, you may be wondering how I'm getting this idea of drinking deeply from God's word, from Peter's command to long for or crave the pure spiritual milk. How do I know that he is talking about God's word when he tells us to long for pure spiritual milk? Well, the first reason, very simply, that I'm confident that Peter is talking about God's word when he says to long for the pure spiritual milk is because that's what most modern interpreters of the Bible believe that Peter has in, in mind here. Uh, in, in commentary after commentary, and study Bible after study Bible, this is the conclusion that most of them reach, and they are so agreed on this, in fact, that many of our Bible translations go ahead and spell it out for us. For example, in the, the New American Standard Bible, which I bet someone in this room is using, a uh, very conservative, very literal translation, verse 2 reads like this. It says, Like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the Word. In the King James Version, says something similar. It says, desire the sincere milk of the word. And the recently completed Christian Standard Bible, which is a Lifeway product that is used now in Sunday school literature, it says, like newborn infants, desire the pure milk of the word. And so I feel pretty safe saying that Peter is thinking about God's word, the, the Bible, when he talks about uh, the pure spiritual milk. But there's another reason I'm confident that Peter is thinking about God's word when he tells us to long for the pure spiritual milk. And it has to do with what I talked about earlier, namely my own personal experience with spiritual growth that took place while I was a member at this church. You see, it was during my time at this church that I became very serious about spending lots of time studying the Bible for myself. And the result of that wasn't just knowledge, but growth in my relationship 
with Jesus Christ. As I knew Him better, I loved Him more and wanted to serve Him more. And I'm confident that the same will be true for anyone at this church, anyone at any church, who takes up God's Word regularly and drinks deeply from it. I'm confident of this because that is exactly what God tells us right here in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2. He says, Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that buy it, so that, long for the pure spiritual milk, crave it, so that, buy it, you may grow up into your salvation. So that's what drinking deeply from God's Word accomplishes. We long for the Bible because by drinking deeply from it, we grow up in our salvation. We grow up in our faith. Yes, we are not only born again through the living and abiding Word of God, as Peter said in the previous chapter, but it is also through the living and abiding Word of God that we grow up into our salvation. In other words, it is through God's Word that we become mature followers of Jesus Christ. And this makes sense. Friends, how are you hearing from God if you're not hearing from Him here? This is where He speaks to you. You speak to Him in prayer. Wait, let me reverse that. You hear from Him first here. You respond to God in prayer. He speaks to you in his, his word. You respond to Him with your words in prayer. So that is the second part of this formula for spiritual growth. First, we put away sin. And second, we drink deeply from God's word. Now, fortunately, since through our salvation experience, we have tasted for ourselves that the Lord is good, as Peter says in verse 3, it ought to be natural for us as believers to long for the delightful taste of God's Word. As believers who have experienced the delight of knowing God, we should desire more and more of Him. And again, the best place to encounter God is in the Bible. So, that, so that's the second part of this form. We drink deeply from God's Word. And it's easy for us to do it because as believers, we delight in it. It tastes good to us. We have tasted and it is good. Now think about this with me. The ability to taste The ability to taste is not necessary for eating or being nourished by what we eat, is it? We don't need to be able to taste what we eat to eat it or to get the the nutrition that we need from what we are eating. So why did God give us the ability to taste what we were chewing? Have you ever thought about that? Why did God give us the ability to taste what we were chewing? Sometimes I wish he hadn't. Why did God give us the ability to taste what we're chewing? If it's not necessary for our growth, why did God make it good? Taste good when we eat it. Well, one of the reasons, at least, he gave us the ability to taste is so that we could enjoy what we are eating. We could enjoy what we're eating. Now, after humanity's fallen to sin, we have figured out all sorts of ways to distort and pervert God's blessing of taste, and that's why so many of us are overweight. But you have to admit that the ability to taste What we are eating is a real blessing. It makes what would have been a simple necessity, like breathing. There's no pleasure from breathing. You just do it. It, Eating could have been that way, but God didn't do that. He gave us the ability to taste, and He turned it into something very enjoyable. Now, I point this out, first of all, as evidence that God is a good God. He didn't have to do this. He did it because He wanted to give us more ways to enjoy His good creation. But this is also why God has given us the same ability to delight in His Word. 
Yes, there is a way to eat or drink from the Bible that is not enjoyable, but that is not what God desires. What God desires is that we eat and drink from the buffet of His Word in such a way that we enjoy and delight in what we are eating and want more. Because when we enjoy and delight in His Word, we are really enjoying and delighting in God. And that, friends, is precisely what God is really after. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Brothers and sisters, do you want to grow in your faith? Do you want to experience more joy in your journey to become more and more like Jesus? Do you want to have a better relationship with God? And and do you want to delight in Him? Honestly, I suspect this morning that if you are a believer today that you really do want that. I suspect that if I asked everyone in this room who wants to mature in their faith and grow spiritually over the next year to raise their hand, that nearly every person in this room would do so. I truly believe that for most believers the desire is there. And and let me just say, friends, that this desire is evidence that you are truly a believer. You wouldn't have this desire if you weren't a believer. But at the same time, I also suspect that if I asked you to raise your hand, if you were dissatisfied with the progress you were making in your growth as a Christian, that almost all of you, me too this morning, I would raise my hand as well. I would raise my hand as well. We would all, all of us probably raise our hands because the truth is, while most of us want to make progress in our growth as a Christian, very few of us actually are. And one of the reasons why this is true is because we are simply overcomplicating things. Instead of focusing on this basic formula that the Bible outlines, put away sin, drink deeply from God's Word, we buy all these books, we read all these articles, while while often helpful, can distract us from the basics of turning away from sin and opening up our Bibles. Now, I'm not saying you should stop reading books or learning from articles. I'm not going to stop doing that. And I'm also not saying that spiritual growth is easy work. In fact, it is impossible work without the Holy Spirit, right? But what I am saying is that knowing where we should focus our energy and our efforts to grow spiritually does not need to be complicated. The formula is is very simple. Resist sin, read Scripture. Resist sin, read Scripture. It's that easy to understand. There's no need to make it harder than that. If you want to grow in Christ over the next 12 months, focus on resisting sin and reading Scripture. Focus on, first of all, on putting off those sins that bring tension into your relationship with Jesus and with His body, the church. Focus on prayerfully drinking from or reading from God's Word on a daily basis so that you can hear from God and so that He can hear from you. Hear from God through the Bible. Respond to Him in prayer. It's not any more complicated than that. The hard part is that like college students, we have a choice. We have a choice. And even when we make the right choice, progress usually isn't very noticeable at first, and it's easy to become frustrated and give up thinking there's something wrong with the method or something wrong with me. But if any of you have ever felt that way, if you've ever become discouraged at the slow pace of your spiritual growth, let me remind you right now that even the disciples 
who walked around and were taught by Jesus personally for three years on this earth. Even those guys had a long way to go at the end of those three years. They still had a lot of work to do. Spiritual growth is not an overnight process, friends, but it's a lifelong journey. The results are not going to be instant. And as long as you are living on this side of Jesus' second coming, you are going to struggle with sin and you are going to regularly find yourself desiring other things more than you desire God. But at the same time, that is not necessarily evidence that you aren't progressing in your faith or that you aren't saved. It may only be evidence that you are still progressing in your faith. And that you are still being saved. Remember, we are talking today about how to grow up into salvation. A process of growth. And we do not finish growing up. The Bible is clear on this. We do not finish growing up as Christians until the day that Jesus returns. So we're all works in progress. Now maybe this morning you need to commit yourself to these two tasks. Putting away sin and drinking deeply from God's word. Maybe you genuinely do want to grow in your faith. Maybe you really are tired of not making any real progress. If so, maybe it is time for you to commit to giving these two things a shot for the long haul. I'm not saying it's going to be easy, but I promise it will work if you sincerely devote yourself to the task and are willing to be patient with the pace of your progress. Now, before we close, I want you to be honest with yourself for a minute. Would you say that you are growing in your faith? Would you say that you are growing in your faith? Or would you say that for the most part you are stuck? Be honest. Now, if you're growing in your faith, keep it up. Keep fighting the fight against sin. Keep drinking deeply from God's word. And and don't convince yourself or allow Satan to convince you that you have arrived and can now coast across the finish line. Don't fall into that trap. Because lots of people do. And they fall. But if you are stuck, get serious about about fighting the temptation to sin. Get serious about it. I'm going to put it to death. I'm going to be killing sin so it won't be killing me. Remind yourself that you're no longer a slave to sin. That's one of the things, as believers, we, we're, we're not, we don't have to. We can resist it. We won't, but, but, we, but we can. We're free. We're victorious over it. You can win that battle in your day-to-day life with the help of the Holy Spirit. And also remind yourself how delightful God is by drinking deeply from His Word on a regular basis. As you know, newborn infants can only make it for a few hours without needing more milk. Then they start pitching a fit, and they're not going to stop until they get fed. They can only make it a few hours. So how long has it been, seriously, how long has it been since you took a drink from God's Word? How long has it been? Maybe that's why we struggle so much to grow. Maybe we're malnourished. Maybe we're malnourished. Maybe it's that simple. If so, if that is you, if you haven't really taken the time to drink from God's Word, why not go home today, open your Bible, and take a big gulp from it? That's what we all need if we're going to grow up into salvation. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are grateful that you have given us your word. And we are grateful for the way that you use it. 
uh, to mature us in our faith. We are grateful uh, for the way uh, that you use it to keep us uh, from sin. And we are grateful most of all for the way that it tells us about or for the for the way that it tells us about how we can be saved. Father, it's my prayer today that if there's anyone in this room who has not entered into a relationship with you through faith in Jesus Christ, that as we are seeing in just a few moments, that your Holy Spirit would work upon them in that way. Um, maybe even more likely, Father, for those believers here today who have this desire to grow in their faith, maybe have even been frustrated by it, struggled with it, don't know what to do, think there's something wrong with them. Father, it's my prayer that your spirit would help them see today that, that, the, that, that the process is easier than they think. Resist sin, read scripture. Hear from you, respond in prayer and develop that relationship and they'll become more and more like Jesus. Father, it's my prayer that you will make that happen for many of us here uh, today. Thank you for this church. Thank you for these people. Continue uh, to bless them. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.